In this episode of the Locked On NBA Big Board Podcast, me and my guy, my co-host, Leaf Tulane, we are going to basically do a prospect recap. We're going to recap the seasons of some of the top prospects. We're going to talk about the guys that disappointed, that exceeded expectations, and we're going to talk about some guys that we were absolutely wrong about, and of course, some guys that we, we hit the nail on the head. So stay tuned. Huge shout out to each and every person that has made the Locked On NBA Big Board Podcast your first listen of the day. And this episode is brought to you by FanDuel, which is the official sports book of Locked On. Make every moment more. Visit FanDuel.com slash Locked On today to get started. Leaf is fresh off of working a Utah Jazz game. So what is the mood in Utah right now? Are you... Do you want the team to still be competitive? The people that really know basketball that are fans and within the organization, there's optimism because the Jazz exceeded expectations, built a culture. The coach, Will Hardy, really impressed beyond the, the highest expectations. Um, like he had high reviews coming in with Danny Ainge and the Boston ties and learning from Pop, learning from Ime Udoka. Uh, you, you, there was high high expectations that he would be good down the road, but he was good immediately. And uh, you have a core piece that emerged that you didn't anticipate in Walker Kessler being that good that soon. Uh, a little foreshadowing there. Uh, there's because uh, I got I was wrong on him. Uh, as for Lowry Markin, you have a core piece that could be your your franchise player, and you hope to add to that in the draft. So I think there's optimism regarding the Jazz in the long term. There is a bit of sadness throughout the organization listening to will hardy's post game today saying man it really sucks to be eliminated we worked so hard um and obviously the organization made some trades that were conducive to the future rather than the present um so that made it harder to break the playoffs but this team still tries so i don't think that it's going to be one two three cancun whatsoever i think the effort and culture that's been established will be present in the following two games all right let's shift gears here College basketball season, not necessarily college basketball. You can talk about overtime and uh, the G League Ignite. Who was or who were the biggest surprises for you, good and bad? It's a good question. Um, I think I was surprised by some of the variants of the higher level players. Like what I mean by that is, Nick Smith had games where he looked like he could be a top six picks, and there was games where he was a non-factor. Same with Keontae George. Uh, I think that there's no player that really stunned me that they were bad, and there was no player that was like, oh, my God, he's way better. And coming into the season, I think my best prediction from the college front was Brandon Miller was number four on my board to start the year, and now he's three or four, and and I've made various ones. Right now he's sitting at three, and I, I've got to watch some more Amon Thompson. Uh, but I but I would say that Anthony Black was the pleasant surprise. It was a little lower coming into uh, coming into the season on his performance and, and what I anticipated. And he early and often showed me what he could do. And I've got him in safely in the top ten right now. So that that would probably be my biggest happy surprise. I'd say mine is the, the Duke guys, lively, mostly lively. I thought and, and Khalil Ware. Those two guys were guys that I thought were going to be. In the lottery range, Lively still has a chance. I think that 
with a strong workout circuit, especially if he's knocking down shots and showing his athleticism, I think he could possibly get back in that range at the back end. But Khalil Ware, probably for me, is the the absolute biggest surprise. I'm, I'm trying to think. Whitehead, yeah, this year isn't like last year. I know last year, at the very beginning of the season, we had guys like Yannick Sosa going early. We had Patrick Baldwin going in the lottery. Same with Jaden Hardy. I think this year, maybe you can say Whitehead, Lively, and Ware are the guys that we probably thought were going to be lottery picks that aren't going to be. But I still think Lively and Whitehead will still be first-round picks. And where is in the transfer portal? It'll be interesting to see where where he ends up. But let let's talk about where real fast. What were your thoughts on him coming into this season? Uh, I didn't watch a lot of him, but I didn't like what I watched. So entering the year, just because you know you can't stray that far from the consensus unless you've watched so much high school basketball. Um, so I I had him about seventeen coming in, which was lower than the vast majority of people. But I, I had limited sample size. I just didn't love that he didn't uh, physically dominate games. There was games where his traits shine through, but I, I didn't love that when you're playing high school competition, you're seven feet tall and you're supposed to be skilled and an interior shot blocker. He didn't shine like lively as this guy who's a dominant force in high school basketball blocking shots. Um, and I think he was a bit of a late bloomer. And, and I think a lot of people were taking like a projection rather than something they actually had seen. And I, I tend to try to avoid that unless I really have seen a lot of that player and I can project that trait forward. And even then, that's a swing, that's uh, a gamble. Uh, so I actually was lower coming into the year on him, but obviously he still is outside that number. And he, instead of going into the draft, he's making a, probably an appropriate decision in transferring. Yep. There are three guys that weren't really talked about a lot in the preseason that I believe will be first-round picks. You have Taylor Hendricks, who's probably going to be a lottery pick. You have Jet Howard, who was ranked outside of the top 40. Then maybe he got lost in the shadows of playing with Keontae George and Jairus Walker at IMG. And then you have Bryce Sensiball, who was also not super highly regarded. He wasn't considered a top 20 or I don't even think top 30 recruit. What's interesting is they all played high school basketball in Florida. Like... (laughs) Are people just skipping over Florida? Like, what are your thoughts on those three guys? And do you think all three will be first rounders? Uh, I think all three will be first rounders. I think Jet probably scrapes in towards the end of the first round. Uh, I was not stunned by Jet. I I saw him in a scrimmage uh, for Michigan, and I opened my eyes to him. Hendricks, I've, I've I've said this multiple times. I watched Florida State play UCF, and I was like, who the heck is this guy? Because I was watching Matthew Cleveland. Yeah, and uh, same, and same then I kind of kept some tabs and and I continued to look at box scores and then eventually went back and watched some synergy games and then saw him live a few times against Houston. Uh, long story short, he's the surprise of the season. And then we we did we did a podcast at one point saying like who's been the most impressive freshman that you didn't see coming. I, at that time, I said Sensabaugh, and that's when he was coming off the bench for Ohio State. Then he eventually started and scored eighteen or so a game. Uh, one more guy, and this is this is kudos to you here. You said this a while ago, um, and now it's gaining some traction. Is Donovan Klingon is the other guy that is a surprise that I think will go in the first round. I've I've come around. Uh, we we had a discussion 
maybe two weeks ago, a week and a half ago, about if he should go to the draft. And my thing revolved about Adama Sonogo. The more I think about it, Sonogo should come back to the dra- uh, back to UConn and make NIL money. And Klingon should show what he showed at winning a national championship, all these flashes. Think about this. Tony Bradley and Omari Spellman were not very great players, even in college, but they were they showed flashes on national championship winning teams. And Klingon's better, bigger, fits the modern game, even better than those guys. And he's he's showing some highlights of shooting threes now that that I that you haven't seen and you see he impacts the game. And there's someone who set a prototype for him this past year, and that's Walker Kessler. So I think I think he's a guy that should test the waters, see if he can get a top twenty pick. And I, I wouldn't be shocked if that happens. I would, so that would be the fourth guy I'd add. Sorry to cut you off, but I would absolutely use a first round pick. I on oh, Donovan Klingon. I was a fan of his early when he was just showing flashes. 7'2", 265. He moves like someone that is what smaller. I don't want to give an exact exact higher weight, but you don't see too many guys that big, and he's massive. And I haven't seen him in person, but just on on TV, he looks massive. And he runs the floor. He catches he catches lobs. And he literally just puts a lid on the rim. And I think, and I've talked about it before, I think Walker Kessler's success has has definitely boosted his stock. But it, like you said, it's crazy because he should absolutely, in my opinion, go. And then Sonago should stay and make NIL. He could definitely cash out big time, big time with UConn winning national championship all right when we return we'll talk about a few more prospects that caught us by surprise maybe even some prospects that disappointed but let's get into nissan's most electric player of the week which is brought to you by the all-new all-electric 2023 nissan aria and the player of the week for me would be man do we just give out a team how about the yukon huskies is that is that fair with you, Leaf? Yeah, I, I think they they coasted to a championship, so that's fair to fair to give them an award. Yeah, I mean they had guys that played well. Did who who was Snago? Was he the most outstanding player? Yeah, he he won most outstanding player, and then Hawkins kind of for draft Twitter has been the the, the darling. And, and then Klingon, I, I would even say yeah. Klingon has kind of been the latest draft darling on on draft Twitter. But we are giving the Nissan's most electric player of the week to a team, the Yukon Huskies, who have won, I think, their fifth national championship. and Fifth, the, fifth in 24 years. Are they a blue blood to you? I, I think they're a new blood, but the, I could go on a <laughs> rant about this. So, I like that new blood. Speaking of new blood, this all-new, all-electric 2023 Nissan Aria is brilliantly fierce. It's fiercely elegant. Stunningly powerful, elegantly powerful. It delivers on duality, a combination of fierceness and elegance. It's beautiful and strong, and it is the perfect SUV crossover. The 2023 Nissan Aria packs pin you to your seat power and premium intelligence all in one electric vehicle. It is the all-new, all-electric 2023 Nissan Aria. It is the electric vehicle for people who love to drive. Shop now at NissanUSA.com. All right, second segment here. All right, let's talk about the guys that were your biggest disappointments. I know we kind of talked about Kaleo Ware a little bit. You mentioned 
Nick Smith as I, I don't know if you mentioned him as a disappointment, but you talked about the the variance and how I mean he he did have a lot of hype coming into the season. I had someone tell me that they thought coming into the year they thought he was going to be the fifth pick and the first player in college basketball selected. Is there anyone else that was kind of disappointing or didn't live up to your expectations this year? Yeah, I've got, I've got two that stick out to me. One is Arthur Kaluma of Creighton, uh, where I think many people thought that he'd be the first or second sophomore selected uh, or just non-freshman uh, selected out, out of college. And he he didn't improve anything. I think it's it's unfair to say, oh, he should have gone after the game against Kansas where he really put on a great display. But you could point out that his stock would have been significantly higher than then than it was at any point this season. Even though he was on the Elite Eight team, uh, he kind of fell as the kind of the fourth, maybe fifth option on that team at times, and that's hard to do after having such a breakout performance and kind of a good summer when he played international ball. And the second one, I think, has flown under the radar because he's been relatively um, just not on the radar of fans after being considered a top 10 pick at the start of the year. And that's Dylan Mitchell. Uh, Dylan Mitchell. I never quite had him as a top 10 pick, but I'd be lying if I told you that I watched enough to say why I didn't, I just did. I just didn't love what I saw. It seemed like a great athlete that had no skill and that proved to be true. I think I had him 12 entering the year, which once again, I, I recognize isn't very low, but it's lower than where many projected him. And now I'd be very curious to see what the people in his camp are telling him, like, hey, just rely on your traits and you can get drafted. Or do you transfer and try to find a team that really works on your skills? Or do you stay at Texas and, and just kind of try to work on some skills and, and find a way for that team to really prioritize your development? So right now, he, I don't think he's a top 45 pick. And I, I'd, I'd be curious to see what happens for him. But that's that's quite a drastic fall off for two guys that were projected in the top 20 each. Yeah. And I mean, with Mitchell, he's a center. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like when you look at his skill set, he has a skill set of a five. But he's six, seven, six, eight, 200 pounds. I know there are some people that are still high on him. I talked to I, I won't mention the name, but I talked to someone that had him as early as top 10. This was maybe in February. And but then they admitted like I just like him as a person and he's such a nice kid. And they just mentioned athleticism. I don't have him in my top 60. I just don't know a skill set that he brings. He hasn't entered his name in the transfer portal, so it sounds like he's staying. I haven't seen where he's declared. It'd be really interesting. And then as far as Kaluma, I was gonna read you a text I got. Um, uh, so someone says that they felt like this is that quote from the text. He's made up for it in other ways since the new year, but that's only helped his college profile, not his NBA profile. I think the surgery in the summer offset his development with a shot and everything more than he or the team imagined. I didn't know that he had a surgery in, in the off season. And maybe that played a role it's like Creighton well to me Creighton's success as a team especially late in the season kind of gives him a pass because he was on a team that had so much talent around him and I don't know if 
he anybody on that team was gonna average like seventeen points a game. I mean, he was in a in the words of Leaf Tulane, what is it? E- egalitarian. I can't say the word. E- oh, egalitarian e- offense. Egalitarian offense, and that's what I thought Creighton was. And let, let, speaking of that, are, are you shocked that Ryan Nimhart is transferring? Yes, yes, I, I was shocked about that. Uh, I wonder if this was kind of in the cards as Kirk Creaso was given the the boot outwards and Tommy Lloyd, who recorded, recruited Andrew Nemhard to Gonzaga from Florida after his sophomore year, kind of had uh, um, had some words. And I, I think Nemhard is going to go to Arizona. So uh, don't I, quote me on that in case he doesn't, but I, I would, uh, I'll put that I have a strong feel that that's going to happen. Makes sense. I never thought of it from that way, but I did hear, and I was looking through my, my, my text messages earlier on March 17th, someone put a little birdie in my ear that he was leaving, but this was, I, I want to say like, I don't, I don't that, know. The that would have been the first round. That was, yeah, it was, Creighton, so it was right that, after the game. Yeah. Cause I was, uh, I was there. Yep. Uh, Creighton, Creighton beat NC state. And then the next game he played Baylor and Emhart had 30. Yeah. So yeah, it was right after the game. And, um, and I was like, what? That doesn't make sense to me and you know there's a lot of people from Creighton that are like you know I'm from Omaha and I was just like what is going on here but yeah someone told me as early as March 17th that it was a possibility but I thought with his strong tournament play that it was it would be hard to leave but yeah I've been getting a bunch of messages on my phone about possible guys that that could be coming in as a replacement I did see somebody say Arizona, but it was just on on Facebook, and and I never put the connection together. But that makes a whole lot of sense. And we'll go back to Dylan Mitchell. If you were Dylan Mitchell, and I think you kind of answered this, but I'm gonna double check. And you're advising him. What what do you do? You tell him, hey, test the waters. Do you tell him to don't even waste your time testing the waters? What would be your advice to Dylan Mitchell? I don't see an issue with testing the waters, um, but I would advise to come back to school. Uh, if he tests the waters and gets a legitimate promise, like a team thinks, you know what, I like your traits. We believe we can develop you. You know, you consider it, but you have to have, you got to take that with a grain of salt. Like there's too many players who have been burned saying like, we got a promise at number 20 and then end up going 57. And it, it's it's really detrimental to their career. So I would advise him to come back to school, but I don't think it hurts to test the waters and see how you stack up. Um, if he plays in the combine, I think uh, like stuff like that, I, I need to see him in scrimmage, like setting, even if it's the combine or just like in open runs, really show different traits and gain confidence. But I think the best way to do that is come back for a sophomore year. Do you think it should depend on who's there playing with him? Because he's someone that, in my opinion, need someone to get him the ball and if he's on a team with a bunch of let's say combo guards or guys that aren't past first guards how is he really going to benefit unless he's I mean playing lockdown defense but just scoring energy buckets how much of that would would it factor in for you Uh, I think heavily and that's why I'd consider transferring even though Texas should be a top 10 team next year they're plenty talented but they don't really have a true point guard like they're going to feature Artario Morris and they're going to have a void from both Tyrese Hunter and Marcus Carr and Serge Jabari Rice uh, to fill, even though they got a talented class coming in. 
uh, I'd consider transferring. I'm not saying that that I know anything, but but I I really don't love that fit for him. Now speaking of Ryan Nemhard, if he were to go to Texas, and this is no, this is just me saying, he's a perfect player that would accentuate all the traits that uh, that's demonstrated by Mitchell, the positive traits, and then he'd get out and run, dunk, catch lobs, and play good defense. And I think he looks like a far more appealing prospect than than I anticipate he will um, as he gets older by playing sophomore uh year and, and kind of stagnates as well. Yeah, I think Tyrese Hunter should absolutely come back to school. I can't see a scenario where he gets drafted. Yeah, he as... didn't he didn't have a better year than he did last year. I, I'm surprised he went to Texas in the first place. <laughs> the, the people can't see it, but I heard the money was big. And I mean I I can't confirm but I heard he he got a bag. All right, when we return, we'll talk about some players that you had right coming into the season. I mean, I know there's quite a few guys that that you that you got right. So I guess you got to narrow it down to which ones that you hit the nail on the head. But let's talk about FanDuel because the NBA playoffs are right around the corner, and now is the perfect time to download FanDuel, which is America's number one sports book. And if you're a new customer, you get a no-sweat first bet up to $1,000. That's bonus bets back if your first bet doesn't win. So download the FanDuel Sportsbook app. It is safe, it is secure, and it is easy to use. Then you can bet on everything from the money line to the points scored and threes made. Plus, FanDuel even lets you combine your bets for a chance at a bigger payout with a same-game parlay. So don't miss the chance to get your no-sweat first bet up to $1,000 in bonus bets. When you go to fanduel.com slash locked on, that is fanduel.com slash locked on to learn more. Make every moment more with FanDuel, which is the official sports betting partner of the NBA and locked on. All right. Who is a prospect that you were high on and that you can like kind of toot your own horn and, and feel like, you know what? I got that right. Brandon Miller is is the one that stands out to me the most. Is there another one? I mean, that's the main one. I I kind of likened him to Paul George in a podcast this summer, and I got a little bit of flack for that. And and I said that I, I would start him the, the year at four, and I never moved him from out of three or four. So uh, that that's definitely my largest one that I feel confident about, and I, I liked um, the way I felt. Um. No one else really, I feel like, was horribly revelatory. One that I think is interesting now, it's a little bit of a dichotomy, is that I had Jalen hood Chafino around 22 coming into the year, and that was higher than most people, and now I'm a little lower than most people, and I've got him about the same spot. I think I've got him 21 right now. Um, so that would be that would be the other one. And then same thing with Jordan Hawkins. Uh, if people want to go check some Twitter receipts, I watched Jordan Hawkins play Auburn with Walker Kessler and Jabari Smith. And I was like, man, who is this skinny freshman from DeMatha High School who can shoot the lights out? He had a horrible mistake where he he tried to jump stop in the front court and get fouled and ice the game away. And the ball just squirted out of his hands. They tied it up, went to overtime, went in, eventually went to double overtime. UConn got the win over what would become the number one team in the country at one point, Auburn. And I, I thought to myself, man, I'm going to keep tabs on this guy. So entering the year, I also had him in the first round. And now I'm lower than some because a lot of people have kind of had the Dante DiVincenzo effect where, where he rises his stock because he's been a prominent player on a championship team. Um, but I've got him kind of in that same range, 21, 22. And I think I came into the year 
with him around there, about 24. All right, who was the one you were absolutely wrong about? Uh, I think in a positive way, I, I was low on Anthony Black. I really didn't think his athleticism would translate um, in the half court, and I was happy to be wrong in that case, uh, that he was clearly a good athlete. When Maui, he was playing Louisville, and I think you and I texted this. We were like, man, I don't, I'm not sure I buy Anthony Black right now. Like Arkansas is really talented, and then all of a sudden he had just made shots, got to the rim at will, impacted the game offensively and defensively. And I had my reservations about him and Nick Smith coming into the year. And now Anthony Black's one of my favorite prospects. Yeah, I've I've grown to appreciate Anthony Black. I had some concerns about him. And the the biggest surprise to me is how often he got to the foul line. He got to the foul line like five times per game. If you would have told me before the season that he only shot five shots per game, I would not have been surprised because my biggest knock on him was his lack of aggressiveness or assertiveness, and he, he proved me wrong. The guy that I was probably, it's weird for me to say this, the most wrong about was Victor Wimbayama, and I'm saying this because I was high on him. I And I had been to France to watch him play, Prior to last year, I saw him at the under-19s. I saw how dominant he was. I knew he was going to be the first-round pick. I thought he was – I thought at, at one point, I thought the gap between him and Scoot Henderson was not that that wide. I thought there was a chance that Scoot could pass him. And then Victor just showed a totally, totally different skill set this season than I had ever seen out of him. From the ball handling to the shot making to, I mean, you can't practice shooting a step back three missing and then getting your own tip dunk. But he has just added so much to his game. Big shout out to him for putting in the work. And then Tim Martin, who who's a good friend of mine. I mean, I've known Tim, man, probably like 12 years now. And just seeing how he has transitioned from working with me with the Texas legends and doing camps with little kids to work with the number one pick, spend the time in France. And then I've been with Tim the last few days this week as he's doing some pre-draft stuff for, for quite a few guys. But Victor's skill set has has just blown me away to the point where it's like, all right, what does he add to his game this summer? Like, what is he going to do? Um, you know, when he has another summer to prepare. So I was a little bit wrong about him because I thought that he was a generational prospect on the defensive end, a vertical lob threat. I knew he showed flashes of skills, but now, like I said, this jump he's made is is it's absolutely tremendous. Leonard Miller is another guy that I was wrong about. I did not like Leonard Miller at all when I saw him at the combine last year. He looked lost. Yeah. And he had a very strong March. I don't know if people were paying attention, but his numbers in March in the G League were absolutely incredible. Like, I want to say it was 20. I'm going to pull it up real fast. He had 30 and he had a 30 and 20 game at one point. 30 yeah. points and 20 rebounds. Uh, I saw the 2020. I don't know if he, I was at that game, but in March, he averaged 22 points, 13 rebounds, two assists, one, I mean, sorry, two assists, one steal, 1.7 blocks, 64, 58, 90 shooting splits. 
<laughs> that sounds crazy. 64, 58, 90 shooting splits. I want to say it was like, was it? I don't know how many games it was exactly, but I was at one of them when he had like 21 rebounds. So I was It was 18 wrong. points, 21 rebounds, and, the, and two games prior, he had 33 and 14. So I, I, I kind of mixed those okay, two. You got to combine them. But either way, those are dominant yeah. numbers. In fairness to you, I echo that sentiment on Leonard Miller. Uh, just one thing I wanted to note is I think it's a completely different evaluation for a guy who was coming out of high school and then like finally played against pros and looked out of place to be like, I didn't even think about him at Megan. I made a board this year, but then as soon as I watched him, I've, I've had him inside my top 20. So I, I agree with you. He's exceeded my expectations, but I, I think that, having him low was, was correct last year. Like it, it, people who became obsessed with the idea of him and then watched him were like, man, I'm dead wrong. Like I, I never could, could put any stock into it because I got to see him play comparable athletes. And so I think that it's that, I won't even say that would be a wrong evaluation by you or, or I in that sense. But I, but I think it's accountable to say that we've switched it. Well, the the reason I was so wrong was because I didn't think he had a specific skill set. Like he showed flashes of being a playmaker and, you know, the passing instincts. If there was anything that he did well at the combine last year was he made a, you know, a few reads. I'm like, okay, he can see the floor. Then I watched his film and I mean, you saw like he was playing as like more so of a wing. But his role has not been anything like that with the Ignite. He's not playing as a wing. He's playing as like a finisher. He's an excellent rebounder. And now he he's well, I see more of him having like a defined skill set, even though I mean you <laughs> he's still somewhat of a Swiss Army knife in a sense. But just the transition he made from like playing like a wing ball handler to finisher and rebounder and I think if an NBA team can combine all that like what he showed with the Ignite and the flashes that he showed in high school then you can have a real real player here so I'm looking forward to to uh, watching him work out in person and seeing him um, do some of his pre-draft stuff this summer I think um, that will probably sway where, where I rank him as we head into the draft well that wraps up this episode another great episode Big, big shout out to you, the listener, for making the Locked On NBA Big Board podcast your first listen of the day. Now, for your second listen, check out the Game to Game NBA. Every moment, every top performance, every result. Locked On Game to Game covers every game from across the NBA with local analysis that only Locked On can deliver. So follow Game to Game on the Locked On NBA channel. It is available on the Odyssey app, YouTube, or wherever you get your podcast. Once again, it's Rafael Barlow with Leaf Tulane. Hopefully everyone has a great weekend and we are out.